Hey, hey, everybody, that's right, you're on the air, and welcome again to A Pow with Pops, coming to you live from Gainesville, Florida, well, actually not live, we're streaming, I'm joking, uh, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida, uh, the center of the Southern Punk Rock universe, uh, uh, I appreciate y'all checking in with me this week, uh, it's actually a, a, actually a good week for me on the podcast, I actually have somebody here this week that actually... I could uh, have on here and speak with and someone that I've really actually uh, seen them play a couple times and have always been impressed with their musicianship and their their music writing and uh, even the choices of people that he plays in bands with like it's always seems to have all the different bands that I know of him being in really good really good uh, groups so um, so that person today is I'm I'm uh, joined by Yes, Jay Robbins. Uh, Yes, yes. Um, So just to put out there, um, just to get so people have a a little where to start with, what bands um, would most people in the indie or however, whatever you want to call it, group, anybody that knows anything about the the DC scene or the 90s scene, what bands, uh, even before then, what bands were you in that they could uh, relate you to? DC hardcore band. I have the record of, right here. Of, of long standing. And they, <laughs> were, they were my favorite band when I started going to shows when I was, I guess, 17 or 18. And then uh, I tried out uh, to be their ninth bass player on a fluke when I was home from college over one summer. Oh, wow. And, uh, what year I was that? I didn't think I was going to get in, but I got in. So I was in GIs for three years oh, wow. until that band broke up. Jawbox, yep. which was together for about eight years, and wow. that was kind of my sort of trying to have my own band with my friends, kind of, you know, start from scratch band. Uh, after Jawbox broke up, um, I had another band called Burning Airlines that was together for a few years. Love that band while. a lot, too. <laughs> uh, sorry? I said I love that band a lot, too. That was an amazing band. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. My, really is my favorite band I've ever been in, and that's nominally still, it's it still exists, but it's not very active. Um, but uh, channels and uh, right now, uh, well, what else? What else did I do after channels? Office of Future Plans, which is a band nobody heard of, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, playing in a band with uh, uh, one of my all-time punk rock heroes, Vic Bondi. Oh wow. Right.
ridiculous to put it in those terms, but but anyway, that's a okay, a very 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 amazing discog, I would say. Uh, I actually have which album do I have right here? I have it somewhere. I actually have I found a government one of my government issue records that I still have from back in the day and uh I put it on the other night and I was just like holy shit I forgot cuz I hadn't listened to it in so long and what uh was it? uh was it really great <laughs> oh it's uh it's uh was it uh cave wave boycott stab That's not even. It's like the, the government issue is just like a mini scene unto itself. Was it really? Well, yeah. I mean, they they were, you know, with the, John who formed the band was like one of the kind of original sort of hardcore punk people in DC, and um, he. But but GIs always kind of existed a little bit outside what came to be the kind of orthodox discord sort of mainstream of the discord scene right and and along when they put that record out actually um like i mean they had a bunch of lineup changes they were one of the only bands in dc that it's very typical in dc that when when you had a band if somebody if somebody left the band it wasn't the same band anymore so you just broke up but gi's like john didn't give a shit he was just like Okay, you don't want to play bass in GIs anymore? That's cool. I'll get this other guy to do it. Oh, you, the guitar player's leaving? Fine. Well, I know a guy who can play guitar. Like, so it, the, the lineup was really stable around like John and Tom Lyle, the guitar player, for mm-hmm. most of the history of that band. But the other, the rhythm sections, it, it wasn't a revolving door of rhythm sections. It was a little bit of a revolving door of bass players. Um, that's why, I mean, I was the ninth one, you know, right, like, right. the longest tenured. I was in that band for three years. That's like three years in government issue is a long time. Right, right. But, um, but Boycott Stab was like the beginning of them really splitting off from the Discord scene because the story goes that um, Discord only had enough money to put out one record. Oh, wow. At the, at the time that they, at the time they recorded Boycott Stab, it was right around the time they were going to put out some minor threat record. So both these records had been recorded, and Ian was, and you know, Discord was Ian's label. So Ian was like, "I'm going to put out my band, and you guys, if you guys can wait, that's awesome." And John was like, "Why should we have to wait?" So they went and did it as a split with somebody else, this other uh, label called Found of Youth that was around for a while, that did a lot of good stuff in DC, but never kind of, you know, attained any the, the kind of stature that Discord. Right. Has. So. So when from that moment of them deciding to go with Fan of Youth, they sort of became this separate entity, and people were kind of like, you know, are they cool? I don't know. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> but that's right. all kind of inside, that's kind of like inside baseball, like Discord, you know, ancient history stuff. But no, totally. It's a very interesting story because like you, you never because like you you know about your own scene. You know what I mean? That's that's why that's another reason why I did this. So people could learn about other scenes that went on in different cities around the country during the 80s and stuff like that. Because I'm 47 years old. So like I I got into punk rock in 1983, you know, like that was so it was like but which was pretty rare for a southern kid in Florida. Like I just lucked out because a friend of mine. I, actually, it was a summer. My friend, one friend went to New York, one went to California. One came back, 
with hip hop music from New York, the other kid came back with punk from California. So when I was introduced to the two of those things in 1983, I was like, I have to get out of Sarasota someday. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I have to get out. There's no, there's no four by four trucks for me. There's no Durango boots. Like it's not, it's not happening. So, uh, but so when you, so when was your, are do you come from a musical family? Right. Um, she would drop these kind of snippets. My mom was really like not a, a very stable person, <laughs> okay. um, and she would drop these kind of snippets. You know, when I was growing up, about how like you know she used to sing with the jazz band. And, um, okay. You know, she was like she was. Uh, both my parents were really supportive of my interest in music. They were supportive of every interest that I had as a kid, like every creative awesome. thing, because um, I was just like a super super nerd like kind of really uh, introverted right and so so you, you soaked know, up you, you soaked up a lot of things what's that you said so, you soaked up a lot of things you like to soak up a lot of different things you had a lot of different interests that you were able to to, to do all at once yeah i mean i i, I mean not i don't know how i don't i mean I, yeah i guess i mean the main thing is like my parents kind of let me live in a fantasy world to oh, an wow. extent where I could just make like super eight monster movies with claymation and I okay, could okay. improvise on the piano for hours. So creativity was money. just opened up and there was no stomping it at all. It was just like, let the, let the kid do what he wants. Yeah. But you know what though? It was very, um, that's really true and I'm really grateful for it, but there was also no, um, like there was no sense that it was going to lead anywhere. Oh, right. Like it was very, this very, kind of self-contained private world so for me like i got involved with punk rock when i was in my last year of high school in 1984 because i was in this art program because i used to just draw and, and, and paint and stuff all the time nuclear explosions in high school <laughs> sorry <laughs> and my friends in the art class my best friends in the art class were the, the punk rockers yep because they were like like I didn't, I kind of didn't know how to be like, I didn't know how to go and like be a normal kid. Right. You know, I would like pick last for every team and I thought sports were was stupid and I couldn't like, I, I just didn't, I couldn't fit anywhere. And I got gotcha. you. And they were the first people that I met Yeah. who were like, well, you don't need to learn the rules. So the, we're we're going to, we're making our own rules. Exactly. So yep. I was, I was like, this is, this is, these are my people, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't even that interested in the music until like, I kind of got recruited. Like it was going to see, it was actually going to see government issue. Oh shit. Which was, okay. my, which was my first show. I went and saw uh, GIs and ESOL and marginal man at Wilson center. Oh wow. Jealous. And I was, just, <laughs> I, was I was like, it was like walking, you know, walking into this big church basement. And there's these, like, I remember these like kind of goth girls with, big like weird liberty spike hair and like oh, yeah. all, every it was just like such a totally alien world and i was like this i'm i want to travel to this planet yeah. this is where i want to be you know it's the so, land of weirdos it's like where you be, where yeah. you know you belong no matter who you are what you do what you look like you belong to that world yeah yeah i mean it, it, 
it, it took me a long time to kind of realize that, like, yeah. that, uh, you know, you kind of gain, uh, you kind of gain legitimacy by in, even in that world, you have to gain legitimacy by claiming it. Right. But like, you know, faking it till you make it is perfectly appropriate. No, totally. It, you have to, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how many times I had to play tough so I wouldn't get beat up by Nazi skinheads. <laughs> and some, and most of the times that didn't work at all. Cause I remember I went to see social distortion, uh, prison bound at Janice landings in St. Pete. And like the Nazis were doing their thing and started sig heiling. Of course, Mike, of course was like not into that. And so he stopped the show and he told them, you know, all off or whatever. And then a big riot broke out and I barely got out of there. Like I was like 16, 17 at the time. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty intense, tense time for us growing up in the South with punk rock music. Did you have that type of intensity up in, in DC? Like, did you come across people that were jocks or, or the kids, the headbangers? Did you have issues with, you know what I mean? Like, did you have issues uh, was, with... Well, the biggest, the biggest thing I remember is just that, you know, it was like 1985, I guess, was so-called revolution summer I think yes. it was 85 where like a lot of people that had kind of started out in the you know sort of making the hardcore scene they had a little bit of a political reckoning with themselves where they were like you know like it's not enough to just say fuck you it's like what are we what are we actually about right and sort of became you know just became engaged on this whole kind of deeper level and, you know, their art started expanding and they, you know, like, yeah. like the, the orthodoxy really opened up. And that, that's like, I mean, that was an amazing time to be in, in D.C. I, and be in, in scene. But there was also this reactionary element that developed like right alongside it. So correct. while you had people, you know, doing benefits and, and uh, for like different progressive causes and like you know, benefits for homeless shelters and um, protesting at the, against apartheid at the South African embassy, then you had like, you know, or even like, I mean, radical as it was at that time, you know, for, for Rights of Spring to come out on stage right. and be singing, it's like, like, like really tearing their hearts out in, in this like super emotional kind of like, you know, the, the whole, the whole, like the whole atmosphere of what everybody was trying to do was opening up and so you had this this other side that was just like that's not punk you guys are faggots like right. you know like yeah. really like harsh stupid reactionary you know kind of boot boy sort of bullshit right that, right like uh, tough guy bullshit yeah and so that was like you know people would so you would get like gangs of skinheads coming and trying to d disrupt shows and uh you know and it was weird because the leader of the nazi skins at that time was actually a black woman named lefty <laughs> and uh, and you could never I actually got uh, I remember I was in Georgetown in DC with some friends and um, Irony. Just kinda, somebody was somebody was uh, you know it was a friend of mine from out of town and we, we were like kind of just showing her around DC and this skinhead came up to us and was like yo Lefty wants a ride home and like Lefty wasn't even we didn't even see Lefty it was like her lieutenant person right oh shit like lefty wants a ride home and the clear implication was like we had to drive lefty back out to prince george's county like way out of our way right we were going to get the shit beaten out of us and so we did and it was like it was kind of like 
an opportunity to just be like, so, hey, Lefty, explain to me how a, a black woman can be a Nazi skinhead, you know? Right. And I don't really, re- I don't really remember much about the conversation because, you know, I mean, right. It's like, I mean, she, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I don't have any patience <laughs> for any, uh, I don't have any patience for anybody who self-identifies as a Nazi, right? Right, exactly. But I do, I do know that people have struggles. So oh, definitely. Be like, somebody who had struggles, and I'm, I'm glad that this is like a memory from my like late teenage years. You right. Know? No, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to like a thing that I have to struggle. I mean, it actually like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and not go on a rant about it, but I really, I really had hoped that the concept of like Nazi-inspired youth gangs was like it was stupid enough when I was in GIs on tour and like getting, you know, chased out of like desert generator parties by gangs of Nazi skins. Right. Like, like, okay, that was fucking stupid already, but it's 2018 and I was really hoping, hoping by now that like, I wouldn't have to be talking with any seriousness about the the idea of of Nazi inspired youth gangs. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe it either. I was like, I thought we were done beating them up, <laughs> but never mind. But uh, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a, it's interesting to look at it in like, like revolution summer moment, which right. was such a, uh, I actually saw the, there, you guys had a, was that the one where you had the big show in front of the white house? Uh, was there like a big show going on or, cause I remember I've no, seen old videos of that much later. I mean, certainly okay came after that yeah know? yeah but there were always at that time like in the 80s there were always like you know rock against racism and stuff on totally the National Mall. i and yeah like, dc i heard dc was always very very good at people were always good at going out and actually doing walking the walk instead of what most people you know it's hard to get people to do that nowadays in comparison you don't see it it's it's getting better thankfully, because things have, have gone so, what's the word, topsy-turvy in a weird way. Like, like we're in a different dimension. It, it's like we're in, like Biffco has taken over. Like, <laughs> right, right. you know what I mean? Like that actually happened and we were warned about it in a movie and it actually happened. So we're like, what the fuck? But, um, but no. Oh, it's, sure, I mean, it's like, it's like a decade ago, you could have politics this country and it, you you know there are a lot of people who sort of ha- i mean i'm probably i'm certainly guilty of this right like you sort of carry a set of political beliefs and a kind of, of course you and but you don't you're not uh i think people feel more called by circum by the circumstances like to actually act on that now mm-hmm. because you can see that there are stakes right exactly you know? very important ones too <laughs> yeah. Like so, the future of kids. Whereas, whereas then it's like, it's like you could feel, you know, even, you know, like six years ago, you, you could be forgiven, I think, for feeling somewhat insulated from like, you're like, oh, you know, Obama's the president. Like, look how far we've come. Right. You know? Things are looking and, up. And, 
the discussions are, were much more like, you know, you could talk about Obama being the drone president. Yes. And you could get into the weeds and these kind of thorny political things. Yep. But, you know, now we got a president who is just like, guess what? I'm a nationalist. You can't get, you I'm can't like, get it. You can't see anything. Silent. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. Which is insane to me. And which was always funny to me when we were like coming up in the 80s, especially dealing with what Reagan and Bush. I mean, I figured Reagan probably should have been like the first warning that we were probably going to go with someone like him, this gentleman, one day. Because yeah. we, we used like GE's puppet actor, you know, they're like, let's, right. let's put him up and put him, you know. And of course, he's the one that started the prison industrial, you know, that whole yeah. drugs and all the fun stuff that kind of ruined lots of working class families throughout America in the 80s. And uh, so through all that fighting and everything, when you guys did that kind of stuff and, and you guys had those movements, like how is is does that continue even all the way up through Jawbox? Like as you guys like as things changed, even through the 90s, like. You know, we had Clinton come in, but, you know, like he he still went to war. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, I, I mean, but I guess that's what I mean. What's 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 interesting is like to have all this like all, all of my adult experience. Right. Of, yeah. Of politics is is looking at is is kind of saying, you know, these guys who sort of seem like the good guys, like we kind of like pretend we're sort of America, you know, if you really think that the USA is the good guys in the world, well, guess what? Look at all this other shady stuff. Look beneath the surface. Right. And, and now it's like the sort of scale has kind of shifted where, you know, like, like before, like you could, you could talk about the EU and this whole kind of globalization project and kind of talk about the dark side of globalization. Mm -hmm. Well, of course you can still talk about that. But it's like now you have to talk about uh, – to me anyway, you have to think like the, the first principles are like at the end of World War II, everybody tried to get together pretty much and say, man, that was fucked up. Look what we just did. Yeah, Look where we were headed. <laughs> Let's see if we can't cooperate and like right. see, like have a – like the spirit of it, of, yeah. of acting in concert and acting in common right. is like much – you know that's that's actually valuable like and and it's easy to forget it in the context of like you know countries and their kind of shady double dealings right so um but um oh shit is there a um is there a chance that i can take go a ahead. quick break i have to pick up the phone i'm sorry go for it no problem do you mind no 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 okay. no go ahead can, can we do that can we be on no for a it's it's totally cool man i go i'm i go free ball it like i go with it <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. He's taking a phone call, which is understandable. He's probably at work right now or doing something like that. So uh, very interesting conversation so far. Uh, very, I like the government issue stories and the stuff they were doing. They were talking about doing when they used to do the protests and everything. That must have been a very interesting uh, time to do that work and, and – uh, and spend the time like actually going out and about and hello hello are you there yes i am hello jason 
Yes, I'm here. Right? So, I was actually, that's okay. I was just doing, kind of filling up airspace in between. Like I said, okay. my, I, I could talk so even. Sorry about that. No, no, it's, no problem. It's, it's real life. Yes, no, that's, I love that. That's what I, that's why I don't, I don't edit my stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, most of the people, I mean, all the people that have listened to the podcast usually say they like the fact that it seems natural. There's, you know, there's like, if I'll do it at a bar or something, they see it, they say it seems like they're just sitting next to their friends, hanging out, bullshitting, you know, like kind of just like opening up, trying to learn, learn about just, just get a, just a human connection with one another kind of thing, you know? So it's. And uh, so very, all this political stuff, crazy. Yeah. I do want to go in, I also, but I do want to go into the other, I want to talk about your other two bands if we could. Uh, well, well, so, well, so I guess just to kind of finish that thought. Yeah, yeah, totally, saying, please. You know, was, was there, was the, you know, like, was there that feeling of like political engagement? Right. Going through the whole, uh, you know, running through like, at least in my experience of the music scene or whatever, mm-hmm. through every band. And totally. I kind of think um, it's pretty complicated because, like, I never thought, like, in Government Issue, we were never, f- like, you know, fight. Well, the band, Government Issue, was never, never thought of itself as fighting the good fight. Right, like, right. And this was a thing that was weird for me because I thought of punk as being very, of being, you know, being engaged in it. Like, like yep. to me, you have punk, to fight. punk is inherently political. Even yes. if you're, even if you don't know you're being political, when you That's can right. make something on your own terms and you're not going to just accept what gets sold to you mm-hmm. and, and you're trying to be authentic to yourself. Right. Totally. That's inherently, inherently political. Very much. But so. for, for, for Tom and John, um, they were just like, please, let's not talk about politics. Like, that's just not where we're at. Like, we're just a band. This is not what the scene's about. Like, they sort of rejected a lot of that stuff. And I hmm. kind of nudged them to at least start doing, you know, to sort of use some of their, like, like GIs would never do a positive force benefit for anything. Oh, wow. Until I was in the band <laughs> and was just pushing them to do it. What you what know, do you think was their uh, the the what kept them from wanting to to in a punk in the punk community and and as being a punk band them not wanting to be uber political or over political? Uh, because they felt like it was. I think. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but I think just they from felt your like perspective, it was yes. Too, too serious, too grown up, too uh, mm. like. That, you know, like why do why do why does anybody want to hear me talk about politics? I don't know anything about it, and <laughs> right. I don't want to know. And they, yeah, like, gotcha. You know, it's all it's it's personal. Like the songs are personal, and it's rock and roll, and we're here to have a good time. And like, right. You know, but then over the time that I knew John, especially, like he became more politicized, and there were th- experiences that we had, like being on tour and playing a generator party in Las Vegas in the desert and having all these Nazis show up and, you know, this kid trying to get this, this, this skinhead kid trying to get John to sign a government issue record. And John's like, really, you don't need to listen to my band. I don't really want, I, yeah. I don't want you to like my band. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know? So right. it's like he, he had personal politics and he had ethics about it. Right. But it was never something overt because they something didn't he didn't want to, want to push, maybe you know? on other. And, and for Jawbox, it's like, and for a lot of bands that I knew at the time and people that I've known, it wasn't, it was not, 
You know, like some people, like Jello Biafra can write a, a lyric, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Vic Bondi can do this too. Vic, like they can cite names and places. They can get, it can actually be like a mini history lesson. Definitely. I know, I know people who can write those kind of songs. Right. Uh, but most, pe- most people that I know don't want to write those kind of songs. And it's hard to do it and have it also be a good song that is like, you know, like it, it's... You know, it's I, people put their activist muscles to use in other ways. Like Jawbox played an, a tremendous number of benefits for right. things like homeless shelters and you know what have you. Yeah. Um, and everybody that I know from that time, that was sort of where a lot of their activist okay. energy went. You know. Right. Yeah. But it didn't. But it didn't feel like a. It didn't feel like we're revolutionaries that are like saddling up to fight the good fight. It was just like. You know, maybe people had a, had that kind of spirit in their brains a little bit, but really, it was just about making this thing. It was much more. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, it, everybody's everybody's approach was different, but it's right. like, you know, I mean, it's not. I think that that's the other thing with Tom and John, and it sort of makes a lot of sense to me in in retrospect. You know, they were like, "Hey, we're kids that grew up in the suburbs. We had a pretty good life. Like, we're not." We don't actually mm-hmm. have a lot to complain about, right? Okay. In political terms, like we're not oppressed, right? You know, so they didn't grow up so, poor and on welfare and stuff. So, like, it they didn't they they weren't able to really grasp or understand it well enough because of the way that they grew up, because they just grew up in a different state, pretty much. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's it's like I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, you could go around in circles about this shit forever, but yeah. like, I think. For, for somebody like, uh, you know, the folk singer Phil Oaks? Yes. He was the contemporary of Bob Dylan. And like, like there's somebody, right, who, same thing, like he he grew up in privileged circumstances. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's he himself was not oppressed. Right. And a lot of his songs are like names and dates type songs. Um, but not all of them are, you know. And like he was speaking with a genuine, he was singing with a genuine empathy for oppressed people and a genuine... Um, desire for justice, a desire to put out a message that, like, he was trying to put something out into the world that would tip the scales a little bit. Right. And that's that's a real thing, you know. So whatever his circumstances he came from, it's like, you know, there are people even now who are just like, I wish musicians would shut up about politics. You <laughs> right. You're right. And I'm right. And I'm like, but that's like, part of the art form. <laughs> well, it's it's politics is literally everything you fucking do. Yeah, it's all political. So yep. it, it's like you Very can do it, you can be conscious about that, or you can just ignore it. Not choose to not be conscious of it at right. all, you know. But it doesn't automatically make it like, you know. Oh, it's you know. I don't know. Whatever. I get worked up about it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm the same way. It's it's very hard for me not see. I'm I'm controlling myself right now. Like usually, if me and my wife are talking about it, I get pretty ramped up and going about it myself. I've always, I've always been like, I've always questioned everything. I was the same way. You know, like I've always, I never trusted in anything. My grandfather was in the military. He was in Korea and Vietnam, and he was in the military for twenty years. And he he himself said to never trust the government. You know what I mean? Like he said, and he himself even said, don't trust the system. And he was just a dumb, well, he called himself this. He was just a dumb hick from the mountains of West Virginia, you know, from a logger's family. 
you know? Right. So it's like, but he was a lot smarter than what most people gave him credit for because the things he would tell me was way more intelligent than what my, you know, teachers would even tell me when well, it comes also, to... he had experience, right? I mean, he's oh, yes. in the middle of a lot of shit. He saw, he, I think this the stuff that he saw had such a, you know, he saw the real... He saw more real than he wanted to see, is what I think. You know right. what I mean? Go well, on. Even, even Eisenhower, right? Like Eisenhower's famous speech when he was mm-hmm. leaving office was like, beware of the military-industrial complex. Complex. That's right. They keep on missing money. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I wish I could miss money that much and not get audited. That'd be really nice. <laughs> be a good day. Right. <laughs> but uh, so... When did um I wanted to get to Jawbox now if we if we could because I'm kind of curious about like when did Jawbox actually when did you all meet up and start like how did that uh, occur? Uh, it it occurred well uh, so I met Kim uh, who I met Kim when I was in Government Issue and uh, she and I were actually a couple and when GIs broke up I was kind of like I I did a brief stint playing bass and scream. Okay. Um, and then I started to think like here, like I'm this young guy who keeps joining these old guy bands that have been around forever, <laughs> and and I really want to just start my own thing. And right. Kim had not been in a band before, and and was this sort of uber music fan, and um, so she had the same, you know, she was like, we both just wanted to start a band. Yeah. And um, and I knew Adam, who was our first drummer. I had known him a little bit since high school and same thing. He was a really good drummer and never seemed to like have a band that, you know, he was sort of in bands that just didn't work out. Yeah. Nothing really quite kind of got off the ground. Yeah. So I started jamming. uh, So we, yeah, I mean, basically like we just, you know, and my, my thing with Jawbox too was I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to move from bass to guitar because um, it was hard to like, I had these kind of ideas about songs and it was hard to really kind of uh, direct things from, from the bass. I, yeah, bass. I don't know how um, you would have done that. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> well, Cause I'm a bass player and I could tell you there's no way I'd have been like, been able to do what you did, like with the, you know what I mean? Like you definitely see, seems like it was, it needed the guitar. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, if I look back at it, I feel like most people's bands, like they, they're when you start playing, you know, you're just trying to sound like the things that you like. Yep. And so I think you know, Jawbox was like that. And when I was trying to write for GIs, I wrote a lot for GIs, but it almost always got mutated into something that wasn't really like what I heard in my head. It was like close, but it wasn't really like, you know, I kind of could hear the song. And then it would kind of come out at the end of the GI's process, and I'd be like, eh, "That's kind of, I guess that's close. That's pretty cool." <laughs> right. So, um, but you know, so I thought it would be easier to, to kind of get closer to the sound in my head in Jawbox. But it took a long time, I think, for Jawbox to not just sound like the bands that we were listening to at the yes. time. You know. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's normal. That's normal for people's for, for most people's band experience. I mean, the stuff when I first heard you guys, I was, because I I'd never heard that before. Like the the guitars, the 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 drivability, but yet the nice simplicity of the bass lines. But they drove, but they were they were so solid, 
and then the guitars, the way you guys intertwine the guitar work. I mean, the stuff you guys did. Well, that on the... didn't, you know, I mean, that didn't happen until Bill joined, which was actually kind of like we were a trio for a while, and then uh, um, uh, Bill Barbeau joined because it just seemed like we, you know, I mean, I I really wanted a second guitar because I had this. It was the same thing. Like I kind of had a sound in my head. And yeah. I couldn't do it all. Yeah. I, I couldn't uh, imagine that would that have been pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, that really like, and of course when Bill joined, I mean, that's, that's not just like somebody comes in and you tell them what to do. I mean, Jawbox was always very democratic in the way yeah. that we arranged stuff and very, like, yeah, Kim said that process was sometimes contentious because everybody's contribution was really their contribution, you know, totally, which makes it harder to whether or not if, if one person doesn't like the song and three other people do, <laughs> that's, yes, that's contention. Those I've had many of those conversations. Those are the most not fun ones, especially when you're recording. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it's so wor- I think it's worse. The worst is for the singer. I feel totally like, yes, the times like being the singer and it's time for you to go and do your thing and it's the first time that the other people in the band might be hearing what you're singing exactly <laughs> and maybe they're all trying to produce you yeah you're yeah. just like you know you just yeah. want to like you're like just tripping because <laughs> you hear everything so well and you're yeah. just you know i oh my god i used to hate that the worst worst part of jawbox maybe was like being <laughs> like recording vocals and having three people tell me you're flat you know whatever. right like, right right oh no i've i've been told i was flat many times I mean, <laughs> right, right and that's that's when that's when your engineer or producer whoever it is needs yeah. to like just be able to turn to the band and say you know what you guys need to leave now yeah exactly <laughs> you know? yeah totally yeah let him do what he's doing and we'll fit, we'll work on it later right so when so when so what year did you guys put out your first album uh Oh Maybe. wow! Okay, that might be right. Yeah, that's probably right. Eighty-eight or eighty-nine. I'm gonna say it's eighty-nine. And that I'm was very on. Bad. Like, if you talk to Kim, Kim remembers every, <laughs> every. You know, she remembers events down to like you know the time of day. Well, I actually me, interviewed like... her a year and a half ago, right after the Women's March in D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right; she was good at numbers and dates, and it was insane. <laughs> like, she had like a photographic memory of all of it. It was pretty. She had very good conversation with her. It was it was a good time. I do I do not have photographic memory. My memory is like imp- sense impressions. <laughs> <laughs> so eighty nine, and then so did you guys start right away? Just start touring? Yeah, I think that was the lesson that we had. Was just like as soon as we have a, a set, because it was something that GIs kind of picked up from. Descendants, I think, was probably the band that, that, and a little bit maybe from the influence of Black Flag, but it was like looking around at bands that, you know, it's it's like, what do you do if you have a band? You go tour. That's how people hear your music. You yeah. get in front of them, you know, so. Book your own life. GIs really, really tried to be a road warrior band as much as we could. Yeah. And then I, I knew, and that was also the fun, right? Like, like the part of the point of having a band is like look there's this network but you can go it's like i don't like i'm fucking poor like i've always been poor i'm not i can't just like fly to another country and like exactly swan around like oh let's go to japan yeah but if my band 
like get some momentum, maybe we can tour in Japan, you know? Exactly. Like, and that's a, And then when you're traveling like that, it's like there's this built-in access to what a certain kind of life is really like. It's just awesome. Yes. It so, is. <laughs> um, all that, and that's so that. I mean, that's a that's a real um, that's continues to be a real appeal for me. Is like you can feel a little bit like a citizen of the world because you know that this is a scene that's based on these kind of common interests and common energy, and it's it's everywhere. You know, you can go. You can be in Berlin mm-hmm. and have a conversation with somebody, and you both are on the same page. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I knew, you know, I knew that I wanted. That's one of the things I wanted in, in continuing to be involved in music. Is like, look, it's this engine that can take you around to different experiences. We got to do that. So, Jawbox always really like we we toured a lot straight away as much as we could which is part of the reason that anybody ever even heard of us. You know, there were loads of great bands in DC right. at the time that were only interested in playing in DC or just barely got out of town. Yeah. 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 So when, so Jawbox, you guys finally, when did you guys, you, how many albums did you end up putting out? Uh, we did four records, two okay. of which were on Discord, and two of which were, uh, you know, like we had the sort of end of our band was, uh, um, it was, uh, you know, we got kind of swept up in the major label um, signing frenzy, right, and um, which was a very, you know, we that was like a very thoughtful time for us, but in, in the end. Um, I mean, basically, you know, at that time with like sort of Nirvana, Nirvana broke and then basically all the labels are like, yeah, we got to, we got to, here's some money just lying around. Right. We got to try and sweep that up. Sweep up bands. And, um, and they would have, I think, you know, everybody wanted to sign Fugazi and Fugazi was not going to get signed. So I think they, I think that for a major to get any band that was on Discord, um, but particularly a for us and Shudder to Think, who were sort of the hardest working bands Love. after Fugazi mm-hmm. and who sold the most records. So, cause you know, major label only wants to bet on something that is already a success. I want to so, see you t- that. That's what, that's my dream show is to see Jawbox and Shudder to Think together. <laughs> well, that show happened a lot. <laughs> I know. And I missed him. It stinks. That's the, that's the bad part about living in Florida and not having, you know what I mean? Like you get stuck. And I never was. I, I I know friends that have seen the shows and said they were amazing. But man, that's yeah. Those two. Those you get the yeah. Those two bands. I mean, there was so. I've listened. To, I listened to you guys so much. Like we played, like when our like I think our second Hot Water Music tour or the first one ever. It's like we played your two albums like so much. I mean, like hours and hours. It was just like we couldn't. It, we couldn't get enough of it. Like it was just like we were, we were soaking it up, you know, like it was cause it was so, it was so good. Both of your bands were different, you know, but you were from the same area, which was cool as shit. Cause a lot of places have a hard time where like a lot of the bands end up sounding the same, you know, like Gainesville, we have a problem with that. Bands will like a band will come out, they'll do somewhat decent. And then all of a sudden a lot of bands will start kind of copying the same, you know. Well, I think I which has happened. You could certainly argue that Fugazi was that band for for Washington D.C. Like, you know, a lot. I mean, I I think Jawbox. A lot of what we did was really in the in thrall to like 
you know, especially at first, like, it was very much in the shadow of Fugazi. Oh, cool. You know, musically. Right, right, right. But, um, but, you know, that's whatever. That's that's normal. But, no, no, uh, no, definitely. I mean, th- but that's a that's an amazing band to be, you know, they, I mean, no, those sure. guys, I mean, they, holy yeah, they were, cow. They were a great, great band to be, like, you know, to have as, like, your kind of, you know, the big brothers of the scene, if you will. Most definitely. But, um, but, uh, but so with Drawbox, you know, so we signed, we signed to Atlantic. We had very, um, you know, we sort of tortured ourselves about making sure that we could do it without feeling like we were selling out. And I think we did a pretty good job of bringing our, our ethos along with us when we signed. Can I ask you a quick um, question about that? Sure. You're, can, just so you know, just just out of curiosity, because I've asked other people what their definition of selling out was mm-hmm. as a musician, and like I'm curious, what what is your what at that time, or even if it's still the same now, what is your definition of selling out? I think at that time, and still to me, really, it's like if you're doing something. Ah. Uh, I mean, at that time, I think, I think it, uh, I think we felt like if we were going to do something, there were a couple like sell outy type things that felt creepy that happened when we were on Atlantic. Okay. But for the most part, our whole, you know, it was like, like we did a photo shoot with David LaChapelle. Right. And it was just like, we're being kind of dressed up like mannequins, you know, and it feels I, really, I, like it's I, not I remember us, that you know? picture, <laughs> very bright yeah, clothing. I, <laughs> yeah, and that was not that was really not us, and I think we really regretted that a lot. Yeah, and we were, you know we let ourselves get talked into that. Um, okay. But for the most part, it was it was like you know wanting wanting to be at that time for Jawbox in that circumstance, it was like wanting to make sure that we felt in control of what we were doing. Right. That no one was trying to dictate the kind of music we were going to make. Right. Um, or where we should or shouldn't play it, or how much we should charge. You know, we wanted to. We we felt a real connection with people who liked our band. You know, people who came out to see us. It's like that was huge to us. That anybody, and it's still huge to me. Like like that anybody gives a shit about something that I do creatively. Right. I'm like, that's a that's that's huge to me. I'm like, you know, I mean, I, like that means a lot to me, and so I want to be respectful of that it's not you know there's no like there's a whole paradigm that's associated with like music business culture right that's Mm -hmm. like there's the artists and then there's the fans and it's like it's like a very hierarchical kind of structure and you know as if you know in pop music right it's like people are just down there down below and they're just waiting for jewels to fall from the you know they're waiting for scraps to fall from the the (laughs) mount olympus right like their stars are going to bestow this like you know thing upon them and you know that's just bullshit right like yeah like the, the music belongs to everybody everybody could be expressive and creative everybody has a point of view yeah. like so you know we I, I think in jawbox it was most important to us that we f- were respectful of people who who lent us their ears and their time and their you know emotional investment right and we didn't want to go to a major and suddenly be like Fuck you. you know, it'd be a product. Right, right. We're like, no, Cause, we're, yeah, because you're not, you're not a product. Yeah. You're a group of musicians that create art. <laughs> right, and it's right, and it's, it's like, 
that this this is like the you know the liberating message of punk rock for me was yeah. like I could sit in my house and just be playing piano forever and nobody would ever hear it. That's right. But the fact is, with you know in the punk scene, I could go out and may, I knew people who were going out and making music, and a lot of it was just terrible and they were kind of shitty bands but you know what they fucking did it it was yep. like that's the 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 magic is like it, it put them into a social context where people were exchanging energy and ideas and stuff so that's what that's what the whole thing is you know and so it's not like i mean it's tricky to me if i look back at it like i could make a political analysis and say actually it was selling out but in you know because right. really you know, but it's like it's it's all becomes this relative thing. Like, where are you going to draw the line in that? Like, like you got to put gas in the van to get to the next show. You've exactly. Got to, you know, for yeah. certain people, like you've got to play music or you're going to fucking explode. Yep. Yep. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's at a, you know, so selling out is like this big thorny question that kind of like devolves into like mush, you know. Yeah. But it's like uh, it's like. Because, I mean, there's, there's so many things that you guys could have, I mean, just like you say, like you, you did something, you made a decision that would, that you, that you felt as artists that you could go to bed every night feeling comfortable with the fact that you made the right decision for yourself as an artist and a musician. Yeah, I think, I think also at the point at which we made that move, we were like, we had been kind of working very hard for a long time and having the sense that like, like, okay, we've reached everybody that we're going to reach. Anybody that might give a shit knows already. And it's just going to kind of plateau. Right. So sort of available experiences are now like a super known quantity. And that, that isn't bad, but it's a little bit of like, well, where are we going to go next? What's, is there a next thing? Maybe, you know, like, and at that point, to have this opportunity come to us in a form that, uh, in a form where we could dictate the terms to an insane degree. And also like our A&R guy was like somebody that we knew really well. We'd known for years cause he did triple X fanzine in Boston. And so it was like this situation where we kind of got to have our cake and eat it too. And we're like, are we going to regret doing this or are we going to regret not having done it more? Right. And so we were like, you know, yeah, we gotta, we gotta do this. We gotta see what we can, what we can basically, what we can do with this new, you know, situation. Right. And, and um, so it was really, you know, I don't really have any regrets about it except That's for cool. that David LaChapelle thing. But right. even that, it's like kind of just goofy. Yeah. But, no, I mean, you got, you were young, you know, like it's, it's, it's yeah. so hard. That's the thing. Like people, I try to get across on, on the podcast a lot that, you know, like every individual artist and every person in these bands all have individual, you know, circumstances and things that they're going through and the things that they have to, I mean, I could, you're an individual, but yet you're married to three other people. You know, <laughs> in a way, it's like you got to think of yourself, but then you have to think of the four of you, and then can the four of you all agree on the same thing? Which is kind of neat that you guys were all able to to come to the same conclusion on that decision and, and be, you know, and support one another in that way. And that, and and you're. St- I mean, it, it's it's weird too because I think that if if we had not gone to Atlantic in all honesty, we might well have broken up, which would have been a shame for us because I think the records that we made when we were on Atlantic 
were the best records that we made mm-hmm. and they were the most authentic to like like they're the records that were the least like record collection records right like the first two records are like like oh here's the moving target song and right. here's the you know this <laughs> song that kind of a little bit influenced by this band and like mm-hmm. you know and then the, oh listen they just toured with helmet oh i can really tell you know like <laughs> And then, That's and then funny. after that, you know, we Zach, we, we, uh, we changed drummers. Zach Baruch is joining our band, and he's got a very particular aesthetic as a drummer. He's really on a, on a, his own kind of mission. He's amazing. And we changed so much, so much about the way that we made music that we started to actually make much more original sounding and idiosyncratic music. That's what I was and, wanted and to we, ask you about. Like, you guys started doing a lot of like different timing stuff and really cool off time thing like like some of the stuff you guys did was just incredible like that like was that would it was this were these songs like were some of these songs like real quick like write em ups were any of those like oh dude i just came up with this thing and I'll, boom we got it done in like well, a, lot of, a, a lot of times like playing in, in when zach joined the band like you couldn't it was much harder to just bring a song and go like hey everybody i wrote a song here it goes you know, like I could still do that a little bit, but nine times out of 10 for Zach, like, you know, he was like, like, like he was, he is not, he's never been interested in just going like rang dang to get the thing, right. just like punk backbeat thing. Like he could like, that's like the most boring thing in the world to him. So I always felt like if I could get away with a song like that, <laughs> that he must, he must think it's actually a really good song. So I would always feel better about it. Right. But right. Most of the time we would just, we could just, you know, we'd go in basement and like jam around some beat that he came up with and then you know just kind of fit the puzzle pieces together if somebody had one idea we'd all you know like kim would have a baseline yeah and we'd start building off of that and reacting to it but a lot of it came from his beats and so so a lot of your songwriting with this ba- with jawbox was just jamming it's it would start as jamming and then uh by the time it was sort of ready to turn into a song with lyrics and stuff i would kind of usually i would kind of be the person who's kind of traffic copped it into shape because i have an idea how i want the vocal to go right and and i'd be like this would be a lot better if we played this first part longer so i could kind of get a longer phrase in or you know that kind of thing like Like the structures build up the tension and let loose and all that kind of stuff yeah, the structures might come around the vocals in the end, but right. like the I, all the, the elements were tended to be things that we would come up with almost on the spot. Oh wow! You know, because if because premeditated things, like I said, there are songs that I wrote that were like really pretty much written, and if if Zach didn't feel like he could kind of do his thing to them, they tended to die an early death. You know? Oh okay. So uh, whereas, <laughs> he would make sure they didn't work. <laughs> yeah, kind of. You know, you Drummers like are good whatever. at that. Drummers are good at that, especially if they're a good drummer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, they can kind of steer the ship. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I mean, I think it was it was great because it, it it changed. I mean, it changed my idea about making music, and it made it much more of a like, uh, you know, it was not dictatorial. It was like. <clears throat> You know, and sometimes it was it was really like hard going because every, you'd have four different ideas going on at once right. that really clashed, and you couldn't get them to agree. And then you know sometimes we'd get into this perverse thing of like, well, them not agreeing is what it's all about. That's going to be awesome. And I hear some of that stuff now, and I'm like, ah, stop. You know, yeah. Like, like 
I just want to, I want you to communicate with me. I don't want you all to shout at me in yeah. different languages at the same time. <laughs> exactly. But, um, Definitely. But, you know, it's, 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 you know, I mean, I think that it was a pretty cool thing to be, to be doing for yeah. me at that time. Like, I, like, you know, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a, uh, an amazing dude an amazing, like, I mean, we're still really good friends and, awesome. um, He's like, I mean, he's a pretty inspiring guy. Just like, in terms of like, you know, he's just an autodidact. Like he, he's kind of taught himself all this, like a tremendous breadth of stuff, right? Just by being a curious person, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. Someone who's always in a ser- in search of something, which is like kind of interesting to see, especially when it comes to yeah. like a musician. So, for sure. Yeah. But uh, so. I'm gonna. I'm so. I, like I said, I this stuff usually goes about an hour. We're almost at an hour, so I'm not gonna keep you that much longer. Um, I just kind of. I'm probably gonna ask you a couple more questions. Nothing. Nothing. Hopefully, would take too long. But, um, sorry about the um. That's one of those things you have to work on when you do a <laughs> podcast. It's very annoying. I count them every time I do it. And I annoy myself with oh, really? it. You put a little hash mark on that oh one. man, I'm just, and I and I I, I'm, I should start charging myself money every time I do it. So. But um, so as 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 Jay Robbins now looking back at the things you've done through the years and and all this your your um, your your travels your 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 ups and downs um, well we go ups and downs but what out of all of no I'm not gonna say out of all probably what's the biggest biggest lesson as an artist that you've learned up to this point in your life, do you think? And, you know, what's, what's the biggest lesson you think you've learned as an artist and a musician? Oh my God. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, or, uh, or, or if not what lesson, maybe what has it done for you as a human being, being an artist and a musician? Oh, I mean, you know, I, uh, I mean, to thine own self be true, <laughs> right? Like that's the lesson, right? Like, right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So you, I mean, uh, you, you're a musician. You're always going to be a musician. That's it's always been a part of you. So to be that is to be true. Yeah. I mean, I think I think so. I mean, not just not just that, but it's like uh, I think I think that um like like part of the part of the thing that brought me into this kind of a life is that music was a way of to be, to be present in the moment and then also to be present um, with other people. Like it was an opportunity to like, really like show up and be open right. to the world and be present in that, in the place and time where, where you are. Right. right. And, um, and that was like that was super important to me because, like I said, when I was a, when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, I was basically doing everything in my power to be invisible, right? And um, and just kind of exist in this parallel kind of side world and try to not be disturbed. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, which is a dead end, you know. So it's so, like I think that the whole tr- trip of like having been in these bands and trying to like 
you know, figure out what it means to write a good song and figure out how to look people in the eye when you're singing to them and figure out what is it that you're trying to even sing about and all of that. It's like, um, you know, and then also, in, it, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's just been about like trying to actually be present. Being in present and, and connecting with, with, with the, with your audience and the people who are there to listen to you pretty much. Yeah. I mean, just literally, literally being, being, being present yeah. in the moment. It's very, uh, that's, that's a very, that's a very Buddhist mentality to have or to figure out at a younger, <laughs> at a younger, I'm just now, yeah, fig- well, I mean, I'm just now figuring that out at 47. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 51 and I'm, oh, you know, hey, wow. I, that's a, that's a lesson. I mean, yeah, you, that's something that you have to, I think you probably ought to think about every day, but I mean, there's, I that's do, the yeah. point at which also, um, I stopped wanting to tour so much, you know, like when I got married, I was like, that was the first time that I started to feel homesick. And yep. I was like, you know, like the adventure is now I'm with another person and I'm sharing a life in this way. So it's like, definitely, that's, that's, that's where I really want to be, you know? Yeah. But I mean, so it's, so that, that sort of, that was sort of the, the end of me wanting to go like, I'm a, you know, up till I got married, I was just yeah, like, well, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I could be on tour for six months. And I'm like, no, no way. Yeah. You know? Oh, I know. I got um, lots of friends that got married that stopped touring as well because it's the same thing. You know, once you find that your your real partner, that person that you know is truly on your team, because there's really only one, and that's the person you end up marrying. You know, like that person. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. I'm knocking on wood. I'm almost 20 years. I'm 19 years this Halloween with my wife so it's uh yeah we met on i met a goth girl on halloween night how weird (laughs) so uh but uh but no jay robbins man thank you so much for taking the time to to uh away from your day off and everything to to uh sit down and have a powwow with me and talk about um your life as a musician and uh, just giving me, giving me and the listeners a little, you know, excerpts of uh, little tidbits of your life that you were uh, kind enough to share with us. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate your, you know, I appreciate, I, I back at you. you Thanks, know. man. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Does it, does it, uh, is this, so is this going to be heard like when? Is this like kind of I, it goes It goes up every Monday on soundcloud and i also have a facebook page instagram I, I have every social media uh thing out there i do it all and oh, okay. so it's going to be everywhere i was going to say if you're if you're um if you're going to fest i'm actually i'm playing with vic i'm actually on friday oh. acoustic show friday night oh sweet and um and then uh our, our band reports suspicious activity is playing sunday night where are you guys playing sunday night uh, the Wooly. Okay, I might be able to go back because I know everybody that's running all the uh, all the pl- all you know. I know I used to do. I used to work that fest almost every year, so <laughs> I know everybody that works it because everybody's been working it for the same people been working it for twenty years. Right. So it's yeah. like it's a cra- it's a crazy thing what it's turned into, but it's kind of insane. So, but yeah, I'll definitely try to get it out get out there. I should. I think I'm working early on Sunday, so I definitely want to get out and would would like to meet you face to face. Yeah. Again, but yes. thank thank you for your time. Uh, this was an amazing thing. Like I, I never thought this would happen, 
I really didn't. But my wife just said, be patient. And, you know, she's like, if, you know, if they're, if they're bo- if you're bothering them, they'll tell you to stop bothering them. <laughs> I will. I just can't believe anybody's interested, so I really appreciate it a lot. Oh yourself. man, you, you you don't understand how many people I told that I was gonna talk to you, and there it's gonna be a, a very probably one of my most listened to podcasts, probably for sure. Um, so, um, like I said, I put it up Monday, and I'll send you the link to it on uh, Facebook. And thank oh, you again. Thanks. Yeah, man, you take care of yourself, and again, uh, yeah. have good shows this weekend. If I don't see you, awesome. Thanks right. a lot, Jason. Take right. care. You too, Jack. Bye. Peace. Well, folks, that just happened. I got an hour and four minutes with Jay Robbins from Jawbox. I hope I got all of that. Uh, I can't believe it. I appreciate you all for listening. You guys have a great day. Deuces.